Welcome to Tech Law Chat, our series of coffee break podcasts from Four Pump Court. I'm Ian Munro. And I'm Matthew Levy. Today we continue where we left off last time, advising Carlos, general counsel of the semiconductor fabricator in the aftermath of a ransomware attack. Matthew, what's happening? Well, following Michael Brown's advice, Carlos directed in-house IT to focus their energies on finding Machine Zero and getting the attackers off the network. This has now been achieved. The attackers are out. The network's clean. Also, the source of the initial ransomware attack, which we now know was used as a pivot to gain access to the entire network, has been found. What was the source? It was a USB stick that Dan, the chief engineer, picked up for free at a recent trade show. Ah, using an untrusted USB stick. That's a bit of a violation of Cybersecurity 101, isn't it? Indeed, and it gets worse. It remains unclear whether attackers carried out their threat to publish the blueprints of customer What is clear, though, is that those blueprints were taken from the network. The firewall logs show the relevant transfers quite clearly, so if they haven't been published yet, that's probably because the attackers will have another go at monetizing their attack instead. If we're lucky, they'll threaten again, or perhaps even threaten the customer But if we're unlucky, they'll hawk the blueprints around the black market for cutting-edge IP and sell to the highest available bidder. And has been told what's going on? Yes, and it's fair to say that wasn't too happy when it was told. They've terminated the fabrication framework agreement and they've threatened legal action. Well, that reaction is unsurprising, given how this attack was allowed to happen. I've been looking at the confidentiality provisions of that fabrication agreement. Blueprints are categorised in the agreement as confidential technical information. The provisions governing confidential technical information are mostly focused on restricting the use to which can put the information. It can only be used for the purpose, capital P, which is the fabrication of chips to order. That's obviously not relevant to what happened. But there is an obligation to take all reasonable steps to preserve the confidentiality of confidential technical information and to have in place systems and processes to ensure the security of confidential technical information in line with industry norms. If uh, Dan putting an infected USB stick in his computer was sufficient to allow an attacker to pivot across to systems where confidential technical information was stored and then allow that data to be exfiltrated, it seems to me that systems were not in place to ensure the security of the confidential technical information. We have actually obtained now an initial opinion from a cybersecurity professional who specialises in the semiconductor fab sector. Now, he says there are no industry norms, but that unless this was a particularly sophisticated attack, it should have been detected at source, and there should have been no question at all of data exfiltration being possible. So we may have a debate here about what the obligation is to be in line with industry norms, what it actually means in practice. But a reasonable working hypothesis is that one way or another, is going to be found in breach of its obligations, because it'll be in breach of the obligation to have in place appropriate systems. And in any event, we've got the problem that Dan picked up that USB stick at a trade fair and put it in his computer in the semiconductor fabrication plant. That obviously raises questions as to whether had processes to ensure the security of confidential technical information in line with industry norms. 
You just don't need to be a security expert to know that free USB sticks picked up at trade fairs shouldn't be put anywhere near sensitive computer equipment without being thoroughly checked first. I'd be very surprised if industry norms didn't mandate such a checking process or indeed simply ban the use of external USB sticks. I suppose the position may be that there are appropriate processes in place, but Dan didn't follow them. But of course, if that's the case, there's a breach of the obligation to take all reasonable steps to preserve confidentiality. Confidentiality has been lost here because Dan failed to follow the very processes set up to preserve confidentiality. And it actually gets worse, doesn't it? It turns out that no one in engineering had had any cybersecurity training for three years. And when it last took place, Dan refused to do it on the basis he was chief engineer and thought he knew enough about cybersecurity already. That's not good. In short, one way or another, it seems very likely we have a breach. Less obvious is where that leads to in legal terms. It's completely understandable is anxious. But the reality is that blueprints are only of real value to a very small number of organisations in the world, namely competitors. And only a small subset of those will be in the market for stolen blueprints. And there's no evidence yet that they've been sold on to such organisations. Unless and until that happens, it's not obvious that has actually suffered any loss. Indeed, that's right. The real crunch will come if a competitor of releases a chip whose technical specifications are suspiciously similar to the stolen blueprints. It's bound to be on the lookout for that, and if it happens, they'll presumably get the chip reverse engineered to see if it is their stolen design. And if it is, will then be very much in the frame. Now, this is a fast-moving industry, so if that's going to happen at all, we'll very likely know within the next six months or so. And meanwhile terminated the fabrication agreement for material breach and if breach is established as we think is likely it will necessarily be material because the contract provides that any breach of confidentiality provisions is a material breach so will have lost a valuable revenue stream carlos in his role of general counsel is keen to make sure that learns from this whole debacle and he's identified three points of action one need to review their cybersecurity systems and processes. In relation to processes, it's not good enough to have a documented process. The process actually has to be followed, and as part of that, there will almost certainly need to be a regime of staff training, and that regime will have to be enforced even, or perhaps especially, to those who think they're above such things. 2. Given the prevalence of cyber risk, which will only increase as time goes on, there needs to be much more focus when negotiating contracts on specifying with clarity what will and won't be required to do to secure client confidential technical data. Obligations such as putting in place systems in line with industry norms are all very well, but when even an expert in the field can't actually identify what such norms are, there may be something to be said for a little more precision. 3. Carlos has recognised that the governance of cybersecurity risk is something over which he needs to take personal charge. A serious cyber attack could expose to literally existential risk. Thank you for listening to us continue our chat about cyber attacks. 
For references and citations, visit us at techlaw.chat. And if you feel so inclined, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is provided for the purposes of general education and entertainment only and does not constitute legal advice. The presenters disclaim all liability for the consequences of reliance being placed on what they have said. The value of investments can go down as well as up and you may never recover the time devoted to listening to this podcast.